Welcome to the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, Faculty of British Columbia podcast. We are a diverse coalition of Asian Canadian legal professionals. We promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian Canadian legal professionals and the community. We foster advocacy, community involvement, legal scholarship, and professional development. The purpose of this podcast highlights the diverse and unique members of our community. We hope you enjoy our podcast. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed many things, including the future of legal work, and has propelled the move of many Canadian lawyers to practice in the U.S. This will be an episode focused on debunking myths about working with recruiters in the legal profession. We understand that impact recruitment recently started increasing its presence along the northwest of the U.S. and has had many inquiries from Canadian lawyers regarding the transition to lateral and practice in the U.S. This is a timely episode on how to lateral to a U.S. law firm as a follow-up to our Practicing in the U.S. event held on April 8, 2022. Impact Recruitment has the expertise to address these concerns and queries, and we are pleased to feature Steve Dorley and Olivia Trong on today's episode. Educated in business and finance, Steve began his career in the U.K., working with the NHS to develop educational public health campaigns. Throughout his impressive career, he has worked in HR, management, business development, and has even been the owner and operator of an art gallery in Vancouver. He has worked with skilled professionals in the areas of accounting, engineering, design, and technical support, assisting professionals to secure new roles in their respective fields. With more than a decade of his career dedicated to staffing and recruitment, Steve brings significant and diverse experience to Impact's legal group. As practice lead, Steve continues to conceptualize inventive solutions for even the most unique hiring challenges a company may face, now finding ways to overcome such challenges for law firms. Applying his broad market knowledge, Steve focuses on developing and maintaining meaningful relationships with leading law firms, while successfully leading a team of business developers and recruitment specialists who are working to bring in and recruit for exciting opportunities, from entry-level administrative positions to senior partners. Olivia Trong is a senior talent acquisition specialist with Impact Recruitment and currently focuses on internal hiring and building out high-performing teams in the BC region to help shape Impact's future. She has over four years of recruitment experience, both in agency and in-house, across a variety of industry sectors such as healthcare, administration, human resources, legal, technology, marketing, sales, and more. Before moving into her current role in the internal side of recruitment, Olivia was a part of the legal team at Impact Recruitment, and she recruited associate lawyers, partners, and in-house legal counsel for Impact clients in the BC region. Thanks for the introductions, Fiona. It's really great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. I'm glad to have you both here as well. So let's get started. Our very first question for you is, do lawyers have to pay Impact Recruitment to use their referral services? No, actually, Impact Recruitment gets paid by our law firm clients, and so recruitment services are actually free of charge for candidates. Okay, I see. And then I guess that leads into our second question. Do legal employers have to pay Impact Recruitment to use their services? I know you answered a little bit about it already, but I was hoping you could go further into detail about it. Yes, because Impact is primarily contingency-based, legal employers only owe a fee once they've decided to hire a candidate that has been referred out to them. However, to further expand on that, there's no cost to the employers to review resumes or interview candidates as part of the search. And placement fees are paid by clients or the hiring companies that's separate to candidate salaries. And so contrary to belief, recruitment firms such as Impact don't actually take a cut of the candidate salaries. And just to add in there, the salary budgets and a firm's recruitment budgets tend to be different. 
And not using a recruiter won't mean that you can negotiate a higher salary. Firms often have equity pay scales and lockstep pay models. So your level of experience will equal a certain salary point. That's really good to know. Now, in terms of using a recruiter, I'm sure many people are quite nervous, especially for myself. When I worked with a recruiter for the first time, I was quite nervous. And one of the big factors for that was because I was concerned that my current employer would find out about my conversations with recruiters and just the intention of moving away to a different firm or a different career. Could you just talk a bit more about whether or not your recruitment services are confidential or whether or not current employers will know that I'm searching for a new position elsewhere? Yeah, of course. That's actually something that comes up quite a lot with candidates that we work with. And in a market where people know each other, it can be a small world such as the legal industry. We do operate 100% confidentially and we can act as an independent third party while maintaining confidentiality and discretion. And the profiles we send will often and can be anonymous. We will have a discussion with you about the firms that you would like us to consider sending profiles to. And in terms of working with recruiters when I'm sending in my applications, what documents should I consider submitting to be considered? So I'm speaking on what I've seen in Canada. I would say just a resume as a starting point. Some legal clients may also want to see a law school transcript, depending on the level of the experience of the candidate, or perhaps even a writing sample. But I would say resume is a starting point, and then depending on how far you get along in the process and depending on the client and the role, the recruiter will let you know what else is needed. Yeah, and to Olivia's point there, in terms of additional material, particular firms may have a particular requirement. In the US, it's really interesting. Some firms do look to receive the covering letter, for example. We may also advise that you send follow-up emails for example, for you to stand out. Uh, small gestures can go a long way. Absolutely. Uh, uh, even from the beginning in law school, we're always taught to send thank you emails shortly after networking sessions and coffees. So that's definitely something important to keep in mind. I do have a follow-up question with respect to the resume. So I heard that, again, correct me if I'm wrong, this may be a myth, but I heard that in Canada, resumes typically they can be up to two pages, but in the U.S., they're fairly strict on keeping it to the one-page requirement. So for the both of you and your experience, what is the appropriate length for a resume to be submitted for consideration? I actually haven't seen any limit in terms of page numbers for the Canadian market, but Steve, I don't know if... Yeah, much, much the same, Olivia. We tend to see two to three pages, sometimes four, but nothing really longer than that. Okay, I see. And then pivoting over to law school transcripts, in your experience, when are they required? Are they required for most positions leading up to senior positions? Or in your experience, what has that been like? For me, I think in the US, it's up to about five years. You need to have them on hand and available. It's something that hiring managers tend to ask automatically. Speaking about the same for Canada, I haven't experienced it for anyone above a five-year call, but it's good to have on hand. Okay, I see. And then I also do see sometimes positions will require a writing sample. So in your experiences, what types of writing samples have you seen? What's the appropriate length or what would the format of it be? I've seen it for labor and employment. One example is a demand letter. 
the recruiter will tell you what's needed because it might depend on the actual role and the client can let us know the specific writing sample that they're looking for and what the requirements would be. I totally agree with that. It, it tends to be fine-tuned uh, according to the, the role that's being filled and the specific need at the time. That's really helpful. Thank you both. And that leads me to my next question. What's the best way to keep a recruiter updated on our job search to avoid duplicating our efforts or reaching out to the same employers? Yeah, so during your initial interview with your recruiter, they'll likely ask you about your job search efforts so far. So it's best to be upfront and just let them know which law firms you've already reached out to directly in the last 12 months and which firms you'll already in talk with. And as you continue in your job search, it's a good idea to keep them updated on any job development so that they don't reach out to those same firms on your behalf. I would also say if there are any firms you're interested in but haven't reached out to you yet or not sure about, you can always ask your recruiter about them. They can give you some insights on those firms if we work with them. And they can also reach out on your behalf to make an introduction, especially with those clients that we may have an existing relationship with already. Recruiters can also suggest law firms that maybe you haven't thought of that they think could be a fit based on your discussions on what you're looking for. And they'll always ask permission to share your profile with firms to see if there's interest. And so I'd say the biggest advantage of working with legal recruiters is the ability to gain access to law firms that aren't maybe publicly hiring because we have relationships with these law firms that oftentimes direct contact with law firm partners, HR managers, and the decision makers. So we can help expedite the process to hiring managers. Some great tips there from Olivia. I do think that having a continual conversation with the recruiter is really advantageous. The recruiter is not going to know what you're applying to. Just keep them informed. They would rather have regular contacts daily, weekly, of what your particular recruit, what your particular job search is going like. And that's more advantageous for the recruiter. It's best for the relationship. And in terms of relationship building, how long has Impact Recruitment been around? We've been around since 2009, 13 years now. Yeah, we celebrated our 13th birthday party last week, in fact. Great timing. Yeah, so uh, as you can tell, Impact Recruitment has been in the recruiting industry, especially working with legal professionals for the last 13 years or so. And so safe to say that the relationships that they've built are very strong and there are definitely perks to working with Impact Recruitment and I do echo the sentiment of keeping your recruiters updated on your job hunting process. My next question is, what is the difference between job postings that are posted through a recruitment agency like Impact versus one that you see regularly on Indeed, Glassdoor, LinkedIn, or law career offices? They can actually sometimes be the exact same posting. Some employers are also recruiting for the same roles that they've engaged recruitment firms to also support them with. So it's best to double check with your recruiter which firm it is before applying if you think you've already applied to that firm or to that particular posting. And some firms may be conducting a confidential recruit as well. They may not want to do the recruit themselves and may be looking to the agency to help them with that. Yeah, and that actually brings me to a follow-up question. What is the reason behind some firms wanting to remain confidential during the job search process? There can be a number of reasons. They're expanding their workforce internally. Sometimes employers are conducting confidential searches because they may actually be replacing somebody at the company. And so they don't want their own staff to find out. They just may not want their name out in the market as well. 
If I were to want to get in touch with impact recruitment and work with a recruiter specifically, what's the best way to get in touch and who are the names of the recruiters who currently work primarily for legal roles? You can reach out multiple ways on LinkedIn, email, or phone number, all of which are listed on Impact Recruitment's website. In terms of the specific names of the recruiters, we have it split up into different regions, and there's quite a few, so we pass all of that information to you. Thank you. If you were to apply for a litigator role versus a solicitor role, would there be a difference in the recruiter that you would be working with, or are they primarily split by region? I'd say it's split by region and also practice area. And some of our recruiters do a bit of both. It just depends on also capacity of each of our recruiters. So I wouldn't say there's a specific recruiter that only does litigation versus solicitor opportunity. I see. Okay. Thanks, Olivia. Now, the title of this episode is Debunking the Myth of Working with a Legal Recruiter. Some people, they recount that they have mixed experiences with recruiters. And they share experiences where they get unsolicited emails that are not tailored to their level of experience or even area of practice, for that matter. And in terms of how Impact does things, how does Impact ensure that this doesn't happen with their candidates? And why should a candidate consider working with Impact as opposed to other recruiters? Yeah, so our goal as an organization is to always find the right fit for both candidate and client. As part of our search strategy, we use different multiple methods, and the most common occurrence of a candidate not being qualified appropriately is typically a result of the recruiter trying to cast a white net when looking for candidates and maybe not double or triple checking who their outreach messages are going to. At Impact, we do train our recruiters to take the extra care when sending outreach messages, and we aim to build long-lasting relationships with both candidates and both clients. And we truly want to be a helpful resource to both sides, whether or not we help you right now or in the future, or maybe even someone in your network. We've been able to build our legal practice up in the last eight years from having one client to now over 200 through providing an overall quality service to both clients and candidates. And really, it's not in our interests to just put a warm body in a seat. We're in this for the long term. And if you build a strong relationship with the recruiter, this is something that will hold you in a good position as your career develops. I've actually worked with people over many years, finding them opportunities three, four or five years after our first placement together. And Olivia mentioned at the beginning of her answer that Impact's goal overall as an organization is to find the right firms for both the candidate and the client. And how does Impact make sure that this happens? How do they connect the right candidate with the right employer? Yeah, so first of all, from the candidate side, recruiters do spend the time asking the right questions in the initial interview to really understand your career journey, your practice area, your career goals, motivations, and preferences for your next opportunity. And I'd say it goes both ways. The more detail and transparency candidates can provide us, the more insight we have to what employers and opportunities would be the right fit, and also being able to keep opportunities in mind as they come up. We can also tell how motivated candidates are to make a change versus those that are just seeing what's out there. So it's just good to be honest with where you're at so that we can adjust our level and frequency of communication to you as appropriate. From the client side, when we do job intakes, our team spends equally as much time getting as much detailed information about the position, the practice area, the team, who the lawyer will be working with, and the department structure, expectations, et cetera. We provide all of those details to candidates when we present those opportunities to them. 
I mean, in terms of finding the right resume, whether it's on paper or it's on LinkedIn, what's one of the first few things that a recruiter would notice or look for whenever they're on a candidate's profile before they determine whether or not to connect them with the right employer? I would say when we're looking at a resume, of course, we're trying to match the right practice area. So just looking at um, how detailed the resume is in terms of describing the practice areas of the split and maybe some of the cases and files that the lawyer has worked on, if it's relevant to the job. Add into that length of time, duration at different firms, any gaps on a resume, particularly things around formatting, spelling, comprehension, any errors, things like that as well. Mm-hmm. But for example, I do feel like a lot of my colleagues are changing practice areas. And for myself, last year, I pivoted from construction law to employment law, which are two quite different practice areas. So if a candidate approached you and said, hey, Impact, I'm looking at pivoting practice areas, what would be some of the ways in which you would help market that candidate to the right employer, even though they don't necessarily practice in that practice area? It does happen. It is more difficult, as you acknowledge, Fiona. I often say, look at the firm as a whole and see if there are practice areas in that firm that interest you and look to transition within that firm into the new practice area that you're looking at as well. That could be one easier way. It's a good recommendation for sure. Now, I just wanted to take the opportunity to insert the fact that Impact does work with a lot of employers on a monthly and annual basis. In terms of the size of these prospective employers, Impact currently has 225 signed law firms across Canada and the US, and then they also have over a thousand clients assigned across all of their other divisions. Now, in terms of the time commitment per week, what is that like and what's the timeline approximately in terms of working with an Impact recruiter? Yeah, so that could really vary depending on each individual. But in general, I'd say after the initial outreach, the recruiter will schedule a phone or virtual interview for about 30 to 45 minutes to get to know you, your career journey, and discuss what you're looking for. And then after that point, it'll depend on how active you are in your search. And if there's immediate opportunities, they can submit your profile for consideration. If you're working with them on active opportunities, the timeline between the initial meeting and placing you could be anywhere between two to six weeks or more. Other factors could also include your own personal timeline and the employer's interview and hiring processes. If you're taking a more passive approach, recruiters may check in with you every couple months and occasionally email or call you about relevant opportunities as they come up. I think it's also important to say that we're flexible as well. So if you have a particular timeline, we will accommodate the amount of time that you have available. We will work with you. I have another question, actually. So say you're working with placing the right candidate with an employer, but the employer is not as responsive as they would like. What are some of the strategies and tips that Impact would do to ensure that the candidate gets placed within the timeline that you were talking about earlier to make sure that the placement does take place as promptly as possible? I think what we're trying to do during the process is manage both the candidates and the client's expectations equally. So if the timeline gets adjusted, you will know immediately. It's not like two to six weeks is going to pass by without any communication. Our conversations between the clients and candidates are happening all the time. So we will be adjusting the timeline. And it happens on both sides. Sometimes vacations come up on the candidate side. So it comes down to an accommodation between the candidate and the employer. 
Yeah. And I would say when we do the job intakes, we always ask our clients, well, what is the expected timeline for this role to be filled? And that's something that we communicate to the candidates. And what would you say are the peak seasons for recruitment? Like when do you notice that it's busier? When do you notice it's quieter? I would say certainly after the holiday season into January, a lot busier. That's when one of the peak seasons kicks off. And then equally after the summer holiday season into the fall. Olivia, do you have any thoughts? I think what you said sounds about accurate. Going back to the documents required for application question earlier, one of the things we talked about was submitting law school transcripts. And in both of your experiences, it seems that the transcripts were required typically for anybody that was under five years of call. And so my next question is, how does the recruitment process, aside from that, work differently for a junior associate under five years of call versus a mid-level or a senior associate with more than five years of experience? I would say it's a similar process. The majority of the opportunities employers typically engage us on tend to be for roles more at the mid to senior level. We may not always have as many opportunities for more junior associates. However, that being said, we're always proactively recruiting and we can reach out to clients to introduce your profile to gauge interest, but don't be discouraged if you don't feel that you're qualified for any current postings. It's still a good idea to connect with recruiters regardless. Yeah, you don't know when opportunities are going to come up. And as Olivia mentioned earlier on in the discussion, we are a party to thoughts that the client is having that they haven't actually decided to recruit somebody into a particular position, but they're still interested in seeing resumes of candidates. Thank you for that. A trusted recruitment partner for over 13 years, Impact Recruitment has successfully placed thousands of quality candidates in permanent, temporary, and contract positions with hundreds of organizations. Impact offers employers a single source to recruit for every role, while candidates have the advantage of working with Impact's specialized recruiters. Impact's partnership approach to recruitment means that Impact treats every relationship as a long-term investment. For employers, Impact is dedicated to finding candidates the right opportunity with their career growth in mind. For candidates, Impact is dedicated to finding candidates the right opportunity with their career growth in mind. Now, I wanted to devote the remainder of our episode to another field, actually, that Impact is expanding into. So, as we all know, over the last two years during covid I think the legal profession is one of the few professions that didn't have a slowdown of work. On the contrary, it experienced an uptake in work. And so it really opened the door for a lot of opportunities south of our border. And consequently, a lot of candidates have been looking to relocate, especially to places like New York, with a much higher salary range in USD. And oftentimes I've heard that relocation bonuses, et cetera, are also paid. So I did want to spend some time talking about recruitment in the U.S. and Excitedly, I think that's something that Impact has been expanding into recently. Yeah, for sure. We've been operating our legal practice, as we've said, in Canada now for about eight years, established in the Vancouver market. And I think the natural next step was for us to expand down the border into Washington state. And we've had some great traction, actually. Our ramp up for client and candidate demand has happened at quite a pace. I'd say that we've covered probably the same ground in 18 months that we would have expected to cover in a number of years in other recruiting practices that we've established. So it's been quite a fast pace of expansion and acceptance in the U.S. market. That's very exciting to hear. And 
in terms of the recruitment process, how does it work differently in Canada than in the US, if any? I think the core aspects are still the same as we've spoken about. We've learned a lot over the last eight years, and I think that's the reason we've quickly been able to service candidates. The mechanics are essentially the same, except obviously that we talk about attorneys rather than lawyers. One thing I think that will be different is bar admission reciprocity between different states, admission by motion in different states, for example. But if people listening have questions, I'd be really happy to discuss any specific scenarios that people have. Yeah, it's always better to have a more individualized and focused conversation on the particular aspects of each different case. Based on what you've seen so far, which practice areas are the most popular for Canadian associates who are also known as laterals making the transition to the U.S.? I've seen a lot of traction around mergers and acquisitions and in corporate law. That was strong earlier this year. I have to say they're a little lighter now as the economy is having some challenges. Through the summer, demand for say, environmental attorneys has picked up. We do seem to be always looking for employment and labor attorneys. General liability litigation continues to be needed. Perhaps with COVID, people were looking at their future plans. So estate planning is something that we're always looking at as well. I see. And just going back to the labor and employment piece you were talking about, just because I'm an employment lawyer, so I'm curious, <laughs> are they usually looking to recruit attorneys who represent workers or are they looking to recruit management side? More on the management defense side, I would say. I see. That's good to know. And in terms of the sizes of these firms, which size firms are the most popular in terms of recruiting Canadian laterals? We work with firms in the mid-sized space, some in big law as well. We have some contacts with some of the smaller growing firms, and people have different reasons for wanting to work with particular firms in addition to that firm's reputation in the legal world. So all firms are open to having a discussion. It really depends what you can bring to the table. One thing that I'm sure is a burning question on everybody's minds, what is the salary range for U.S. legal positions and how do they compare to Canadian ones? Money, money, money. Uh, this is one of the big differentiators. The AM100 law firms do pay much higher. That's not a myth. It's an absolute. I could give you a, a range maybe typically of 110000 to 140000 for, say, up to three years' experience. And it really depends on a number of factors, including practice areas, the size of the firm. As well, bear in mind that billables are generally higher, something in the region of 1750 to 1850 for a mid-sized firm. And then you're talking about over 2,000 hours for the firms that occupy the big law space. Wow, that's huge. And it may be worth clarifying here that the quoted salaries are actually 110 to 140,000 in USD and not CAD. Additionally, a lot of the salary differential here is based around the AM100 roles, which operate on a lockstep type basis. And they're starting in the 200,000 USD range, which is obviously substantially higher than the Canadian equivalent that firms are paying. And for our listeners who are not as familiar with the U.S. legal market, what does AM100 stand for? The top 100 firms in America. Thank you. And I also noticed that Impact Recruitment does offer an annual salary guide. I know it's available on your website, but is there anything that you wanted to talk about with respect to that or anything you wanted to highlight for our listeners? 
Yeah, at the moment, our salary guides are based in the Canada location. They're a great resource to have, and we update them regularly. Good way to benchmark your own position in the salary guide as well. And it's something that we will be expanding into the US in the future. That's incredibly exciting, and I look forward to seeing that. So we talked a bit earlier about which practice areas have seen an increasing trend in terms of demand for laterals to the U.S. Other than that, I was wondering if you could elaborate on the lateral trends you've witnessed otherwise over the course of 2021 to 2022. Absolutely. It's very difficult at this time to make statements about any trends right now. Safe to say <laughs> that M&A and corporate commercial litigation, I think they'll be rising again as the economy stabilizes. For me, hard to find candidates, five years plus in experience, always in high demand across the board. A new entrance and student recruitment is actually quite easy for firms. I noticed a posting yesterday, one of the national firms in the US posted a picture of their 35 new attorneys who are joining the firm. So on the junior side, it's actually easy for them to find candidates. But solid, consistent experience is always the key to developing your career. If you can build three years and then another three years at another firm and then another three years somewhere else. That's the strongest thing that can help you with your resume. I see. And one demographic we haven't touched upon at all, actually, is in-house counsel. With larger multinational organizations who have established in-house HR and recruitment teams, it seems like the company may be less likely to engage a recruiter because they have the resources to do it themselves. But it seems like in Impact's experience, there are quite a few in-house counsel rules out there for recruiters, particularly if it's the first time that the organization is hiring an in-house lawyer. These companies usually will want a recruiter who has the expertise to help guide them through the process, and is often the case for startups who grow or expand quickly. Or if the role is specialized, unique, or in a highly technical or niche industry where they're looking for a very specific skill set to fill the position, that could be harder to find. And this is an area of business that Impact is looking to increase now that they have an established legal recruitment team. So I noticed that you said it's hard to find candidates that have five plus years of experience. Does that apply for candidates looking to be placed into private practice or in-house or both? It's usually the case that candidates who want in-house are leaving private practice. And what they're thinking is they see a higher salary point and an easier job, essentially. It's not always the case. Speaking on that in terms of lawyers or candidates wanting to move into that space, it's the main motivational factor is better work-life balance because you don't have the billable hours target, but the salary actually may not always necessarily be higher. Can I just add into that as well, that once you have left and headed over to in-house, it's actually quite difficult then to return back to private practice again. It's something that you should really think about before you dive over into in-house. Interesting. And in your experience, do you have any ideas as to why that transition back to private practice may be difficult? It's often around the structure of the firm, the billable hours, how a firm will operate, and whether or not it's true, there's a bit of a belief that once you have moved over to in-house, you've ceased to have interest in working to a billable hours regime and how that is all structured in. I see. Okay. So 
I derailed the questions a little bit, but I do want to head back to our next question. Now, in terms of U.S. firms, do they cover relocation and bar exam costs regardless of the size of their firms? I think they'd certainly be open to having that conversation on a firm-by-firm basis, particularly if you're bringing something unique to the table or if you're a high flyer or something like that, that's where it would be really interesting to them. Bar exam costs, I would say yes for the majority. Well, that's good to know, especially because I find that in the States, a lot of people are required to enroll in a bar exam prep course. So a few people in the U.S. actually end up self-studying for it. And so to the extent that U.S. firms are willing to cover some of those costs or subsidize partially, I think it would be helpful and it would definitely be an appealing factor for Canadian candidates. I agree. And I think you should always flag those things during the negotiation process. They're more open to having a conversation about it. And oftentimes the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. In terms of the visa process, like what does it look like in the U.S. for a Canadian lawyer? Does impact help with that at all? Or how should candidates seek assistance in this area? That's not something we would typically get involved with, but what I would say is skilled labor positions, including lawyers, are listed under the USMCA agreement, and that's probably some good reading to start with. It's the US-Mexico-Canadian trade agreement, the new agreement that replaced NAFTA. Oh, okay. I would also anticipate that a lot of firms would probably assist with that process anyways. Some of the bigger firms actually have in-house units that actually deal with immigration and visa issues. In terms of the timing, when is the best time or what is the ideal level of experience for a Canadian lawyer to have before they decide to lateral to the U.S.? As we talked about earlier in terms of experience level, it's more difficult to move the less experience you have. At the three-year point with one firm, looking would be a a good point to start moving to your next firm. At the five-year point, you'd certainly be turning heads at that point. And then as you have more additional years beyond that, then that's when you become very interesting to other firms. (laughs) High flyers, I'd also say that high flyers at every level are always a target for the larger U.S. firms. And when I say high flyers, I'm talking in terms of transcript grades and things like that. Transcripts, that leads to my next question. What types of documents are required in addition to those? Much the same as we spoke about earlier, transcripts and covering letters. And we will help with templates and giving you guidance on what to say in these kind of letters, writing samples that will be fine-tuned according to the roles that you're applying for, sending follow-up emails. We've spoken about that as well. I just wanted to note as well, some firms actually pay equal attention, not just to the grades in the transcripts, but the school that you attended as well. But that's not the case for all. I see. And for people who are lateraling from Canada to the U.S., for example, I went to UVic, and someone in the U.S. may not be as familiar with the Canadian law schools. And I was wondering how does that play into anything, if any? For somebody who was moving from Canada to the U.S., they'd be looking at your experience. You'd be bringing something quite unique to the table from the work that you have done and the files you've worked on. I see. For anybody that's under five years of call, in terms of the significance of those law school grades and the general GPA trends, what has impact witnessed over the years? 
What I'm seeing in the US is firms are looking for GPAs of 3.4, 3.5 and above. They're interested in candidates that have higher scores. That's something we have to take the box on. That's a given, but it does seem like generally the trend is that US firms do value work experience more so than law school grades. They do. It's something that, that comes hand in hand. It's the experience and then the transcripts and the grades. That makes sense. Now, let's mix things up a bit more and talk about the vice versa. And by vice versa, I mean Canadian lawyers wanting to come home from the United States. I know that there will be an occasional Canadian lawyer who's looking to return home after a few years abroad. It's often someone who has personal ties to the area. For example, they might be looking to come back to be closer with family or friends or simply to settle down with their partner. And as a perhaps additional and cautionary tale, if a Canadian law student moves to the U.S. to practice for a few years and is paid in USD, and then now later on they want to come back to a Canadian lockstep model, then given their year of call, the currency conversion rate, and difference in taxation, effectively there is a risk of taking a 50% pay cut just to move back home. In addition to notable decrease in compensation and what I've just flagged, what are some other concerns that you have for people who are thinking about making the move home? In addition, passing the BC bar, the asking process would have to be considered in the same way that a Canadian would need to pass uh, the US state bar if they were uh, transitioning southwards. And for the four months, is that kind of in your experience what candidates have had to do, like a reduced article period? Because typically yes. articling is nine months and then three months yeah. of the PLC. Yeah, yes, reduced to that four months. Yeah, I do find that the articling recruitment tends to be something that turns a lot of foreign qualified candidates away from the Canadian legal market. And so that's definitely something to keep in mind. Is the trend for U.S. legal positions hybrid or fully remote from Canada or fully in person? What I'm generally seeing right now is that there's a requirement to spend, say, three months in office to begin with. Individual hybrid arrangements can be discussed on a case-by-case basis, and that depends on the preference and the kind of work people are involved with. Some firms we work with take temperature checks within the organization to see what the mood is across the whole enterprise, and they are more moving towards an in-office approach. And overall, I'd say there's a desire to have as many people in office as possible. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, Thank you so much, Steve and Olivia, for your time. Before we close off, I was wondering if there's anything else that we haven't debunked in this episode that you would like to cover for our listeners. I think we've covered quite a lot of the myths that float around out there. The only other one that I'd probably touch on as well is now that we work in these two markets, somebody said to me recently, are you calling the Canadian lawyers to bring down into the U.S.? There are clearly firms that are doing that, but we're not one of them. Unless you put your hand up and you say you want to be working in the US, you're from Canada and you want to be working in the US, then we'll absolutely talk to you about that. We have great pools of candidates in both Canada and the US. So again, thank you both so much for your time today. Just remember, everybody, if you're interested in getting in touch with Impact Recruitment, you know where to find them. They're available on social media channels. LinkedIn in particular, and I'm sure one of their recruiters specializing in legal roles would be more than happy to assist you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for organizing. Thank you for tuning into the Facul BC podcast. Visit our website at facultbc.ca and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Facul BC. We hope you enjoyed our episode today and stay tuned for the next guest. 
If you have guest speaker suggestions, please email us at membership at faculbc.ca.